No, no. The protoculture's brought only death. I will end this evil here and now. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Bobby. And today we're going to talk about Robotech the Masters here on Genreless. Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of Genreless, where we're going to talk more about the middle part of Robotech, which is pretty much all I knew about it going into this episode was, and then there's the part in the middle that I don't think I've ever watched. I've seen it, and now I remembered why I didn't want to see it again. So, so thank you for that. Well, this and is sarcasm is necessarily hard to get some time, but I want to underline. The sheer amount of sarcasm <laughs> in that. Thank you. <laughs> That's actually really heartening because I, I had never seen it. And it was just because I never got this far, right? Like really my memory, the Rick Hunter era was pretty much Robotech for me. Um, and then I was like, oh, and there's like 60 more episodes that I just never really watched. Um, so this is all new to me. And I was worried going into this, like, I didn't like this as much as I thought it would, but there is some cool stuff in here. Um, so I'm glad to hear it's not just me, just like, it was kind of eh. But there isn't, I don't, I don't want to do some things, but let's kind of start working backwards. Um, like we talked about last week, uh, this was based off of a completely different anime than Macross. It was based off of Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross. Uh, and it was fascinating to see the attempts that were made to try to stitch these together. Like when we, when I mentioned when it, the episode breakdown, I said, you can kind of skip episode 37 because it's just a clip show. And it is, it's basically clips from the previous season jammed into clips from this show. But I was surprised watching it. Although there's no narrative need to watch that episode. I did watch it just for context. And it was interesting how it, having it all from the anime, same animation studio really made it feel like it actually kind of fit together. And then when you go into the show proper, there's obvious gaps because these were shows that were never meant to work together, but the amount of work that was done to try to make them fit was surprisingly good. There was a lot of, lot of dependency on the narration this time to sort of weave yes. it together. Yes, that, that is absolutely true. I mean, like I mentioned it last day, it's like narrator as spackle, the kind of patch holes. You see more of that in this season. Um, but so status quo, just to kind of set things up. Um, uh, at the end of the season, uh, the Centrati tried to attack Earth, bombed the hell out of it, but still lost. Good guys win. Hooray. Uh, and in the process, the humans learn about protoculture and something, some group called the Robotech Masters. Uh, then we fast forward 15 years and the Robotech Masters arrive. What was interesting to me was uh, in the first season, we genuinely did see Earth, a lot of it shit happened to Earth. Like Earth was actually pretty badly wrecked. And the master starts with basically a pretty devastated Earth. Uh, I mean, from the visuals we see, there are parts where they're, they're incongruous. I mean, it seems like they've rebuilt a whole lot in 15 years. And well, they've got Robotech. Come on. Well, right. It's just a, the word robotechnology covers a lot of, of, of gaps here, but they did at least try, you know, they did make the work, right? Um, Although I do want to come back to that 15 year bit in a moment because that it, it raises some serious questions, but you know, they, they made an effort like, okay, in 15 years, we have this orbit technology, this major stuff. We try to build, build things. And there was a, a strong effort to try to keep referencing things like the SDF one, keep referencing uh, uh, the first Robotech war. They used moments in dialogue to continually call backwards to the previous episodes and the previous episodes were mentioning things that it seems like would pay off at the end of that season's arc, but actually we're setting up this season. 
So uh, uh, like the little clips of Robotech Masters we saw at the end of season one are actually, I believe, from this show. And so they slid those in there to kind of start to make that bridge. So it wasn't just like last episode stopped, new episode starts to move on. There was actually kind of a, lots of moving pieces between those shows during that late season one, early season two thing to, to make it move a little more fluidly. And, and I appreciated the effort, especially for 85, right? It's, it's, you know, editing was still a lot of cutting physical film and copying tape. So it was, it was an arduous process to get that kind of clever edit again. So I do respect that. Uh, but, um, but we, I'll go ahead. I think we should also touch on like the original show a little bit. Okay. I don't know much about it, which, uh, so I, I know a little bit, uh, about it cause I've watched it before and the original show was also, all right, I guess I should preference this by, I did not enjoy the masters Robotech, the masters. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is one of the only times I think in the entire run of our show. I know what you're thinking, like what, 10, 11 episodes. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe I'd made a mistake. <laughs> what have I done? But I did watch them all just to, to clarify that. The thing is, the show itself, even when it originally aired, was so bad that they cut the run of the series down by like 13, 14 episodes, I think to truncate it to what it is. And so that's what Harmony Gold got and tried to make fit into everything else. They also renamed some of the characters, like, for instance, uh, Bowie, I think, Mm -hmm. is actually either the son or grandson of the general that we're going to be discussing shortly. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, since they're different series, uh, not Claudia's nephew or son or whatever he is for this iteration of the show. Right. Much how Dana is also like the child of Max and Miriam. They're trying to create those linkages to the other show to make people care about the characters. Right. And I just think that's like an interesting point about that. The show was so bad that it got truncated even in its initial run to try. And then they Mm -hmm. had to sort of like, sew it up quickly to end the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Which was not uncommon for it. It just still happens today. Even uh, where, where, anime they have a plan for a certain run and then it gets truncated um digression but i'm thinking of uh, the big o which is a fascinating one because big o was originally supposed to be 26 ish episodes um did badly in japan so they shoved it all into 13 episodes then it got run on adult swim in the u.s became very popular in the u.s so adult swim paid for a second season to go back to the 26 episode order but they had already ended it with 13 episodes they had to undo some of that <laughs> to get back to the school, they can do the actual bit they wanted to do. And of course, that all came from uh, a studio that was angry that they lost the chance to do more Batman animated series. So it's basically a Batman animated series, but in Japan with giant robots, that's a whole separate issue. Um, but it, it wasn't uncommon for late stage animation to be like, okay, no, we're just getting cut. So you have three episodes, wrap it up, two episodes, wrap it up. So this was definitely... Uh, I haven't finished watching season three, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying this is probably the weakest of the Robotech, if not the entire run, but certainly weaker than the first season. And it's, it's, if you're, if you're watching it, how, how we saw it, we need to point out that there will also be unexpected nudity. Yes, we are watching the, because um, since the uh, copyright kerfuffle that we alluded to last episode, um, Robotech's now available again on streaming and these are the unedited episodes so there's a point where you see Dana's panties because fucking reasons and that's shower scenes yeah I was and not expecting that I, I was as like I was sitting there watching it aired in the US and I, and I realized no it wasn't aired in the US this way as I was eating cereal one morning at like 9 30 in the morning watching it and go well that isn't what I was expecting to see this episode. Right. There are shows that we're looking at later in the season where that is expected. And you know, going into that, that's more of the OVA original video animation stuff. But this was, you know, broadcast television, uh, uh, both in Japan and in the US, which means there's different cultural standards. Uh, but 
I know that some of the stuff that we're seeing now in this version were not the way the episodes were aired in the U.S. I just, I just know that for a fact. So that was interesting. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to go back. You mentioned uh, Dana Sterling is the daughter of two of the characters from the first season. But this is only 15 years later. So canonically, she's 15 even though she is not written that way at all. And we see this character, like like we said, in shower scenes and in provocative circumstances, which is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, it, and the thing is that if the narrator just said 20 years, the problem would have gone away. Just change the number of the narration and it would have been fine. But they picked a different number and that was a bad number to pick. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, um, one thing I did find interesting about the show, kind of going into False Start itself, was that uh, both of these sh- shows, and I think maybe even Robotech as a whole, likes to have loser protagonists. Protagonists who are not people that you would think of as normal action heroes. Um, Rick Hunter basically fails forward into a military career. Uh, and our first real exposure to Dana, she gets into a fight and gets thrown in the brig. <laughs> Pretty much the first 15 minutes of the episode. She's arrested. And I found that interesting, actually. I, 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 it made me a little more sympathetic to the character, to liking the character. It's like, oh, okay, you're kind of fuck up. I, I can't even respect that. And for me, that moved me even further away from the character. Part of it's, it feels like Dana, at least in this interpretation of the show, is a mix of Rick and Minmay put into one character. Right. That sort of accentuates the the best and worst aspects of both characters together. Well, I was going to say, it kind of gets undone because then uh, uh, the Robotech Masters attack, um, she gets, okay, you're going to go fight them in what appears to be a suicide mission. It's heavily implied. It's the, well, if, we, if you die, whatever, we don't care. We're going to arrest you anyway. Gets to a draw. I mean, it's not really a success. And then they're like, cool, we're giving you an entire squadron to commands now. And it's like, wait, what happened? What? <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's an entire character arc in one episode. <laughs> and I think that more, points more to what you're saying is that it, it, it's definitely the flaws of both those characters mashed together combined with how she gets the job is the previous commander gets demoted because he was heavily implied he was sleeping with the colonel's daughter it's like how are you running this outfit <laughs> just, just and can we no talk sense. about the level of demotion that is from <laughs> captain to private yeah private like, yeah <laughs> it's just like what in the hell like i remember um uh, there's a controversial episode in Voyager called uh, 30 Days where um, Paris, uh, uh, who's the navigator, uh, gets demoted from lieutenant to ensign because he decided he wanted to uh, ignore the captain's orders and you know go save a civilization. And he loses basically two ranks uh, as a result of that. And he gets put in the brig for 30 days. And it, it's a pretty controversial episode because it's like, the idea is, you know, he's, he's a rebel who's willing to stand against authority and, you know, finally he's just come up and says blah, blah, blah. But it's like he does the stuff that most Star Trek characters do, so why is he getting punished for it? But yet his rank loss is less than this guy's who off screen, you know, flirted with and or slept with a, a woman who's presumably of age, can make her own decisions, and gets busted from commander captain all the way down to private and it's just like that's just petty that knocks you off of the officer track and to the bottom of the enlisted rung like that is at least because i don't know their space military rankings um (laughs) at least six to nine levels of just like going down right it's it's you might you you would have been better to actually just just honorably just charge him at that point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um it's and it's so it's like 
and I think I think this kind of helps encapsulate encapsulate my entire struggle with this season of the show is that there's some really interesting ideas here that get thrown away for a joke or are not adequately explained, and you start to see the the tension of trying to stitch these shows together. I, I continue to iterate. I mean, I, I think for the time and with the material they had, they did a really good job of trying to make those stitch together. And there's a couple of points where it's like there's actually nice callbacks to things, but there's also, like you said, on top of this show being truncated, even its original form, and then now we're having to kind of cram it into another show. There's just stuff where it's just like, don't have time, move on. We're just going to keep going. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> Like there's a throwaway line in the intro about, um, uh, the, you know, the Zentrani tried to destroy Earth and we're rebuilding and now it's become a feudal society. I'm like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> well, what happens in 15 years to where the entire, the, the one world government that came up around the SDF-1 has now suddenly become a feudal society? Don't forget, there are only, what, 70,000 survivors at the end of first season? I mean, that's true. To your entire population, <laughs> which still, I, I got to agree. I just want to point out how how small the human population is now. But again, they gloss over that, right? <laughs> it's just like humanity has become rebuilt. I mean, it's just kind of just really vague about how devastated humanity was. And yet uh, somehow and the, we have robots. And the other important thing to, to note as we're talking about the population of the planet is that the SDF, SDF-3 has launched into space with Rick, Lisa, Max, and Miriam, you know, mm-hmm. Dana's parents. Um, right. And everyone else to go hunt down the Robotech Masters. Right. And then the Robotech Masters show up on Earth, which raises all sorts of questions about what happened to STF-3. Yeah. And, but so then you also, which has me questioning, so Max and Miriam left to go on this great space mission where they are potentially never coming back, and they left their... 15, well, we'll be generous because I think we saw a baby at the end of uh, season one, 16 mm-hmm. year old daughter on earth to never see her again. Yeah. Which may explain some of her quirks. It's, it's she's someone who kind of just had to figure things out as a kid in this war torn, devastated earth. But it's the other thing is that this is totally this whole thing felt off, right? It wasn't quite a comedy. It, it wasn't a farce. But it felt extremely lighthearted for the situation they were in. And given it's, you know, giant robot cartoons, I mean, I'm not asking for, you know, the Walking Dead level of devastation. But the the it's it's frustrating because the season prior was actually more willing to show you the stakes of the consequence decisions. And in this show, living in those consequences doesn't seem to really want to engage with that material. It's almost like the first season treated kids to be somewhat more mature. And then mm-hmm. they thought about it and they said, well, let's take a step back and we'll aim it for a slightly younger demographic. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. And now as, as people of a certain age, we have to take into account that we may have out hopefully uh outgrown the aids they were targeting this at i will neither confirm nor deny that on my part right um i never even got to this material so so i can't say but certainly i do feel like the maturity for the time that the show was trying to take with first seasons you're right it's just missing we it's um it's actually a little bit about mecha anime in general is there's two very rough buckets for shows. Uh, I'll, there's the super robot show uh, where robots are just cool and they can do cool things and they can do cool super robot things because they're super robots. That's pretty much all the explanation you get. Uh, Voltron, for example, falls in that category pretty firmly. Uh, then there's the quote unquote real robot genre where they actually try to think through the consequences of the military impact of having robotic suits into these kinds of engagements and try to engage war, not necessarily in a extremely dramatic way, but more dramatic than the super robot genre. And Macross is kind of in that liminal space. It, it, it's, it's moving more towards 
the real robot than the super robot. There's also some super robot moments, I think. Uh, but when when uh, uh, Gundam comes out in 79, starts to spread that genre, I feel like Macross is going, okay, what if we engage that but still had a way to sell toys? <laughs> you know, it's like, we still have our toy moments in here, but we're trying to play with that space more. And then this is so kind of almost firmly in that super robot, robots can do cool things and we're going to show them doing cool things because they're cool. And it just so much feels like a step backwards. And I also think one of the disconnects might be that the the mech the mechs they're using mm-hmm. aren't cool. They they're yeah. just they're there. They seem somewhat functional, but they don't have that sort of cool factor to it. Like the Veritex with this transforming plane that they even sort of had like the half form. While these are at best a tank who has a pilot exposed. Mm-hmm. And even if I wasn't in the military, I've got to say an exposed pilot in your vehicle, not <laughs> the best option. It is a tactical misstep, shall we say. Uh, but you're right. It, it's the, this, this, this pilot is in an exposed cockpit because we think that looks cool. I mean, I mean, they're wrong, but that's what the logic is. Uh, and so the show is kind of hinging on Let's just have cool moments, which again is fine. A, a show can be structured that way. That's not a problem. It is a problem when it is presented as the fallout for the much grittier thing that preceded it. And I think now this is going to be me being generous also though, is that really whatever your second sophomore show was going to be after Robotech Macross was going to pale in comparison. There is hardly any way to match the greatness that show had. There was like a magic to it. There was a timing when it came out. Everything just seemed to have lined up from what we can tell as viewers to be perfect. Mm. So anything coming after that is going to be at best be a B. Right, because it's not the characters we've followed for this long. And even as adults, we have the ability to process that. But as a kid, it's even harder. Like, where, where, are, all the, where are all the characters I've been watching for like the past 36 episodes? Where, where are my people? Right. And you have all these new people that you have to try to get introduced to and you have to get used to like their quirks. You have to get used to the new setting. So it's a, a radical shift change, which I actually think this shift change that hurt this season is going to help the next one that we talk about. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, another piece of that is also the shift from a primarily space-based a series to a primarily Earth-based one. And so another big piece of that is we, we, we generally are on Earth for a good chunk of this. Uh, so it it also just doesn't it doesn't feel like the show that followed it, which I mean again, we keep reiterating it's it's literally not, but it's almost the hard work they did to blend those two makes the change even harder to parse, you know? Like mm-hmm. if it had just been a complete hard shift, it would almost be more forgivable. Because it would have been abrupt be- enough that you would have had that one episode of weirdness and then you would have said, All right. This is where we're at now. Let's run with this. Right. But because they've done such a good job of stitching them together, it keeps bringing up the show that you want to be watching. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, remember the STF one? That was cool. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> remember when there were more than uh, 70,000 people on Earth? That was a time. Right. Um, but okay. Uh, so, do you have anything else to say about uh, False Start, which is such an ironically named show before I move on to the next one. As someone that was in the military, I've had officers like that in charge before. Oh, really? And that was not a happy sight for me to see and remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, there's a story that I won't tell on, on the podcast. I will only say that it ended up with a staff sergeant punching an officer for a very, very idiotic command. That, that's wow. a story for a bar. Yeah, definitely. So if you're at a con and you see me sitting somewhere <laughs> and you want to buy me a high top sheer, top shelf scotch, do so and I may tell you a story. And then I will say, please get away from me because I want to do nothing but sit here by myself at this bar <laughs> drink and, and work on the story that I probably am past due on and I owe an editor for like a week ago. <laughs> that, will, that will apply to every con going forward. I mean, there's, there's no deviation. That will always be that case. <laughs> Well, come on. You, 
as a writer, you know that no, even I'm if you don't to. have something due, you still have something due that you want to write. It's it's an ongoing thing. No, I go. I'm completely agreeing with you. It's like if there's not someone else asking me for it, it's my own brain going. You should be working on this right now. Why are you here relaxing? Go write something. Stop having fun. Stop having fun. Okay. So we'll stop having fun. We'll move on to the trap. <laughs> and to be clear, I mean, we're, we're probably going to continue to be hard on this, but I mean, it, it's it's not an enjoyable show. I mean, I, I did have fun watching it. It's just, it, I, I, it, it's, it's good to look at all of these because it's showing you the comparison and contrast and just how weird this whole Robotech thing really is when you dig into it. Um, and what an amazing job the people did to try to make something from something that was complete from multiple things that were completely different. Yeah, totally. Like that in of itself is an art. And um, so the trap is unfortunately needed to see because of music. I'm not going to talk about music yet. Uh, basically, uh, Dana's so, you know, we have an alien, they have access to an alien ship. So Dan takes the 15th into the alien ship. Turns out it's a trap. Um, and there's this interesting moment where uh, the 15th, they each have these helmet monitors so that uh, central command can see what they're seeing, but the masters are also observing them. So it's kind of like the videos and, and looking at the story from different sides thing. It was like, this could have been really cool, but they just gloss over it and move on. It was like, ah, that could have been a really interesting meta moment. Of we're watching television while you're watching people on T screens and but no whatever. Um, so in, they're they're trying to find a way out. Uh, uh, we haven't talked yet about uh, Bowie, who's the other kind of second protagonist of the show. Even though um, we're not going to talk about music yet, can we take a moment to enjoy the pun that is Bowie and Musica? <sighs> enjoy is not the word I would use. Sorry, go ahead. Because uh, so. So, so he meets Musica, who is an alien who plays music, and her name is Musica. And it so feels like this was a placeholder name they had on the script treatment and then forgot to change before they started recording. Because like, oh, she plays music. Uh, just put an A at the end and move on. And I was like, it, it, but also, it's eighties cartoon television, right? You know, I mean, it's it's. If I'm gonna make fun of music. Uh, I would have to make fun of like most of the characters of masters of the universe, <laughs> you know, Skeletor because his face has a skeleton. <laughs> so it's, I don't yeah. even think it's that. I think it's a fact it's, it's for the parents that may be watching this with their kids who know who David Bowie is. Right. And they give you a character named Bowie. That's all into music. And he meets and kind of falls in love with Musica who is music. Right. No, yeah, there is definitely a, 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 a definite level of thing there that is so intentional that I'm almost not sure if it is intentional. But yeah, no, I, I definitely got that. It's like, yeah, Bowie. Because even when I heard the name, I was like, that's, that's an interesting name for a character. They must have been a David Bowie fan. And then music shows up like, oh, there we are. Okay, now I see it. <laughs> and this is 85. Bowie was like still relevant culturally. So it wasn't like this is a, a deep cut. Bowie's still relevant today culturally. Well, yes, but you know what I'm saying. It's like this isn't like some obscure musician no one's heard of. I think we're going to have to have duels at dawn, my friend. <laughs> so anyway, um, Bowie and Musica, they have, they have instant chemistry because, of course, they do. Uh, and it's like, okay, I initially was hard on Min May because her and uh, – Rick had instant chemistry, but you talked me around to why that made sense. And I actually now agree with that. It's like, it was very much a kind of, there was a, there was a tense moment. Um, she was still kind of finding her way in the world. Uh, so the relationship did eventually become a little more natural. I do not believe you can defend this one. I don't know if you want to defend this one. <laughs> if you want me to, I can defend it because I am a game moderator and I run a bunch <laughs> of games. So I could like spin some crap if you want, but I don't necessarily believe it. Right. Um, I mean, it just comes down to the Bowie Musica's relationship is so much more explicitly a plot device that at least with Min May, it starts off as a plot device that eventually becomes something else and something interesting. 
it becomes an actual relationship. Whether I, I, I like that relationship or not, it doesn't change the fact that it's a, a authentic relationship. Music is just a thing that needs to happen for the plot. And it Bowie feels is like the person who runs into it. It just feels like people were trying to bring beats from their first season into this season to give like sort of a rhythm to it that they knew that other people enjoyed from the other show. Right. And it did not necessarily work as well here. Um, I, I will say I did uh, like that. Her music. There's this weird trope that whenever you want to present someone who is spiritually connected to music, they're always playing a harp. And because it's in space, she's playing a laser harp because that is absolutely a logical instrument that should exist. And it got me thinking, it got me thinking, I was like, why harps? Why is, I mean, I, I guess it's the angelic connection maybe. Um, but it, it's like, wh- why didn't you have like people who are spiritually connected to music playing like the drums? Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Kazoo, you know, something. Maybe because drums or kazoos don't necessarily seem to be a more generate a more peaceful sound that may try to like lull you into a more meditative state. He says questioningly. <laughs> that's, that's that's a very polite way of saying boring. What I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's that's not entirely fair. I actually do genuinely like some kinds of of, of soft orchestral art music, but again, it's just kind of a weird like shortcut that I found in, in fiction of of how an instrument is tied to a character's personality. Because I think Bowie plays the piano. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, I, I, that's even a thing. plot hook somewhere where there's high drama about whether or not Bowie will get to play a piano to do something. Right, right. High drama. High drama. But again, piano is another kind of melancholy, sensitive instruments that sensitive artists play. Which, in of its time, the concept of the sensitive artist as a person in the military could have been an amazing story and like character art to develop and work your way through. Right. But that doesn't happen here. And, and, and honestly, I think it's a big frustration is that there's so many things where it's like, that could, this could be cool. And then it just doesn't go that way. There's, there is a ton of potential of what this could have been if they'd wanted to develop or go in that direction at all. And honestly, so one thing we haven't talked about um, is that um, after the show went off the air and before uh, tapes were, were, were commercially viable, um, a whole bunch of novels were written about the series, uh, and and they hit, I believe, all three generations. Uh, I've only read a few of the novels of the Macross era because again, that's the one I primarily know. So I'm curious if a lot of these dropped threads end up getting picked up in the novels and and made better use of. Because I know, at least reading the Macross novels, there's noteworthy rewriting to try to make some of this stuff stitch together better. So something I'm idly curious about or if the tabletop stuff covers it <laughs> but anyway um so uh the masters trap dana and the crew uh, but they escape because of course they do and in the process they get an enemy bioroid pilot uh who turns out to be zor prime uh and zor becomes dana's love interest effectively slash uh, kind of plot mcgovern he's he's the uh, Zen Trotty uh, rebel archetype that we saw a lot of in season one. He's the enemy who has come to serve with the, the protagonist side and therefore gives them a clue into what the enemy is actually doing. Uh, and that kind of leads us into Outsiders. Uh, we're actually talk more about Zor directly. And Zor's actually not a bad character, honestly. Uh, I, I kind of dug him in what I saw of this show. Uh, he, it's very clear what archetype he, he plays in this, but he's actually playing that role to help. And I think some of that is the voice actor seems to be, uh, uh, adding a little bit of gravel to the, the performance. Uh, I, I feel like it was like kind of an interesting performance. Uh, but, uh, Zor prime, 
I didn't quite follow all this. Zor Prime is the clone of Zor. Zor is one of the Robotech masters who created Robotechnology and then snuck on to, took that Robotechnology, put it onto the SDF-1, which I don't think we saw any of that, right? I think he created the protoculture that is sort of like, that powers or fuels the Robotechnology. Okay. Because the, the protoculture is like a, a big point for like the entire, that that is what links all three seasons together is the creation and the protoculture and the flowers and everything. Right. And, but that is aboard the SDF-1. That's why the Zentradi originally never destroyed the SDF-1 because they needed to capture it to get the protoculture Robotech jump drive thingamajigger. Okay, the, the way the interrogation went, it sounded like Zor himself was on the SDF-1, which raised a whole bunch of questions, like, why did we never see this character? But if it's the, he shoved it onto the SDF-1 to hide it, that makes more sense. I think so. I think I may misunderstood that. Um, so the Robotech Masters are trying to ask him questions about what happened, but he has amnesia because he is an anime protagonist, and that is a crippling disease. Um, so he has no idea how to actually answer their questions. Um, and so they start uh, using him as a spy amongst the humans uh, to try to you know, basically see if it, could, if it lets something slip while talking with the humans. Uh, then we brief thing about Bowie's still obsessed with Musica. I think this is maybe the part where he's trying to play the piano to, to recreate the song he heard and he isn't quite able to do it. Uh, but um, none of that matters. Because Major Carpenter shows up. Uh, there's a recon vessel sent from the STF-3. And on there is a character named Major Carpenter who was sent back from the STF-3. And uh, the episode kind of ends on a cliffhanger where uh, he's taken to, they all go to debriefing and uh, Dana's trying to, okay, cool. So when does the backup from the STF-3 show up? And like, nothing, you're not getting any. We, we need to also point out that like his entire team that he came with pretty much obliterated. Oh yeah. So right. it's, it's literally, I think it's just him and one other person that is your backup. And right, that was it. Watching this now as an adult and realizing more things about it. This episode upset me more than anything else that we've watched in this season. Really? The SDF three send back a small group of reinforcements to help you battle the Robotech masters. Mm -hmm. The SDF three has launched into space to go find the Robotech masters. Right. So SDF three, your mission objective is on earth. You had one job. <laughs> what do you, are you going to come back and shoo -shoo? no, <laughs> this is all the assistance you get. It's like, you know, they just got distracted. It's like, we were going to look for my tech masters, but then we found, you know, a rock and, and gotten to talk about there, it. There are so many things they could have said. The the FDF3 had like an accident. They can't, they're going to come back here, but it'll take a long time because they can't make the right. jump. But they're not coming. They're not going to come fight the people they went off to go fight. Mm -hmm. The other thing I kind of love about this is, again, this is one of the places where they're trying to tie it to the previous show, but it's drawing more attention to the seams, is in order to make this, this, this collection of video make sense, because everyone's clearly acting like they know this character. And so they explain it away by saying, Major Carpenter was a huge uh, hero during the first Robotech War. And it's like, I have never seen this character before. <laughs> He was he was totally a massive hero in that war that we saw. He was just always in the the Robotech in the back. He was like the third Veritech in the back. You never saw the pilot for, I guess, or whatever. You know, <laughs> you totally knew who he was. Like, you could give him a different name. Um, you could be like, you know, uh, uh, give him the name of a character from that season and say like he had a horrible accident, had his face changed, something. But or vice versa, don't reference that war. It's like he, you know he he got a lot of. Military action in the STF-3 after he left Earth. He became a huge hero during that conflict that we never saw. Great. No, you reference something that we have a visual document of and said he was a part of that in a Rosecrans and Gilders during kind of nonsense. <laughs> or you could even have one single insert of him in the first season to sort of flip by quickly. 
Yeah. Something. Something. And then have a character later, as you're doing all the voiceover mention, that was like uh, Lieutenant Carpenter. Right. Boom. Done. Lieutenant Carpenter courageously took the ship into you know the supernova and whatever, blah, blah, blah. The narrator the greatest pilot we have, over. second only to Max Sterling. Right, exactly. Um, he was believed to be dead, but turns out he's not. The STF-3 found him in space and now he brought him back to Something. I mean, like, there's, there's, it's an unforced error. It's like there could have, you could have gone one or two directions with it and you went with neither. And again, it's a case of the stitching it together draws more attention to the, the join. And it's like, ah, uh, and then I'm rolling the out of two because really, this is a, as I mentioned in the last episode, this is the point where really there's a lot of two-part episodes effectively. Uh, and so, um, uh, uh, we still have the Zor plot going on. Um, now the uh, Nova Satori is one of the lieutenants who's trying to get more information out of him. And, you know, also I have amnesia. So it's like, no one, everyone's asking questions. I don't know. Stop asking me questions. Uh, so the crew thinks that Zor is actually an earthling who's been forced to serve the masters. And that's the, the amnesia is from the trauma of being forced to serve the masters. Um, and, uh, then we find out that Major Carp is actually kind of a jerk, apparently. Um, maybe he's a coward. Because again, it's the they had to make the story make sense somehow, but it just doesn't. So in it, fact, not a great hero from the Robotech War. <laughs> right. Um, and it also like, okay, so let's take for a moment that the SDF-3 can't make it back and fulfill literally the mission it was sent off to. Okay, fine, whatever. We'll give you that. We've sent this guy and this entire group, and they all die. Okay, sure, whatever. And it turns out this guy can't even do the job he was sent to do. <laughs> Again, what is going on with the military command? No wonder our stem is 70,000 people. This is the kind of leadership <laughs> they have to worry about. Uh, but then, okay, so this is, this should not be my favorite scene, but it is my favorite scene. Uh, so there's a character named Crystal who's one of the, um, 15th, she gets injured in a previous episode that we didn't watch. She's in the hospital recovering. And uh, Sean, it was the guy who got demoted, the womanizer, is coming to visit her. And uh, there's a nurse outside of Crystal's door, and it's like, you can't come visit her. And she's, Crystal's awake and can hear all of this. And so uh, Sean has flowers and clearly coming to kind of like make sure Crystal's okay, but also presumably to hit on her. You know, gets said, oh, you can't go in. He immediately pivots and he starts flirting with the, the nurse instead, uh, who blows him off, which is fantastic. And then he then goes in to see Crystal, who is now mad at him, and he's perplexed as to why <laughs> these women could possibly be so upset with him <laughs> for the thing that he literally did. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can kind of see now why you're a private, actually. <laughs> you're really bad at dealing with people. It was it was such a dumb scene, but it was a bit of humanity and what has been kind of just a heavily plot driven show. And it may have been the, that may have been the, ch the choice of episodes I picked. Uh, and maybe I'm missing a whole bunch of really interesting character moments. Uh, I'll, I'll cop to that. Uh, but it was just kind of like, oh, this is a neat moment. But of course, this is ruined because this is the scene where. Dana's trying to sneak into the hospital, and so we have to look up her dress while she's doing that. Because that's a thing that needs to exist. Yeah, so. Uh, um, so would, do you have any comments about uh, either Outsiders or Deja Vu? You're... Uh. <laughs> Good, okay, we'll move on. <laughs> well... The, the one thing I'm going to point out, as it's going to become relevant now, as we as we're jumping ahead episodes, um, the fact that they let Zor wander willy nilly <laughs> around their military base, whether or not whether or not he's alien, whether or not he was a citizen who was forced to serve, like the Robotech Masters, that is someone who has been conditioned who you're unsure of their allegiance. You don't let them wander around <laughs> free in your military base. You don't let them like go buy a coffee by themselves. If anything, if you think they're a citizen and they've gone through stuff, you try to get counseling for them. You try to like deprogram them. Right. But 
you don't give them free reign. You don't give them a mech to go run around in. You don't equip them with weapons. You don't send them on missions with you. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff. Even as a kid, I knew, but now as someone former military, it's even more frustrating to see that going on. Basic and operational then having, security, man. <laughs> and then having your commanding officer reinforcing all this is blah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have some. You're right. I've had to mention that, but yeah, Zora's just kind of hanging out, and it's like, again, it'd be one thing if, like, okay, this guy's a citizen. He's traumatized. We're dealing with that. That would be one thing. But they even say, we think he's working with the masters. So let's just let him, you know, check things out and, you know, poke at things and see how they go. And it's not even that. I think that it's also Dana who says, I've decided to let him wander the base because it may trigger memories. Right. Yes. Dana's choice, who has already been in the brig, who's been constantly in fights, who's there's just so much that is so wrong with something that had so much potential. I know we're not doing the captain's game anymore, but if we did, Dana would definitely be at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Dana would be in the brig. <laughs> she was. They looked around at the brig. I would not let her out of the brig. <laughs> and part of it also is I, I've had a lot of problems with Dana, mostly because of my own issues with like some of the mid-May stuff that is bec- like predominant features in her and some of Rick's lesser qualities that are also predominant in Dana. Mm-hmm. But the fact that now the show is pretty much about to do a complete shift in who our protagonist is. Right. And it's no longer Dana or any of the characters that we've, I'll be generous, uh, grown to love from the mm-hmm. original Robotech crew. It's now going to be Zor who becomes like the primary driving force of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- at this point, it's pretty clear it's becoming a Zor show. And that's not necessarily bad from my perspective. I mean, Zor is, is a more interesting character, certainly a more competent character than a lot of the characters we've seen thus far. Um, and that goes back to the writing. Let the writers wrote everyone else to be more shallow and lesser versions to make this character feel more important when you meet them and actually get to engage with them. Like that that's a writing choice. And like, I mean And I, our characters should have been competent and credible because mm-hmm. regardless of what we say about like Rick and everyone else, they were always competent and yes. Min May was exceptionally and unbelievably skilled in her field. Right. Yep. Our characters are not, they occasionally get lucky. They do something and it's, it's a constant like fumbling for, for any moment of success to then meet someone else who is going to be like, I am now the protagonist. I say we do this. This is what we're going to do. It is irrelevant that I've worked for the enemy. I've potentially killed millions of you humans. It is my show now. And I mean, you can do a show like that, right? Like you can do a red dwarf. uh, You can do a Star Trek lower decks of incompetent mecha pilots who fumble through a war. That would be a fun show to watch. And who knows, maybe the show was originally that kind of fun show to watch. I haven't seen the Japanese version. But once again, jammed up against a relatively, I keep saying greedy, it's not quite the right word, but certainly a, um, a, a, a war with consequences, a war with stakes. And then you have this show of just how did humans, how did humans survive the second Robotech war? The genuine question I have throughout this entire show. And it's like, and it doesn't help that the Robotech masters are also reasonably competent. They're just, a lot of the way they're written is culture shock. They just don't understand humans, which is great. That was set up by the Centrati in the first season. So that actually connects really well is they just don't get humans. And so if they make mistakes, it's because they're making assumptions from the position of how Robotech masters think, not how humans think. And uh, uh, Zor starts to kind of bridge that gap a little bit narratively. But again, you have this strong, serious reasonably competent antagonist and none of that for the protagonist. And so when you have someone as that bridge, it starts to show even more starkly the difference between the two. And that's like, and, and Dana does do some good stuff. I mean, she, she does, but it's, she does occasionally pull out wins, but they're all very much written as in flukes or, you know, she gambled in one or she, did the right, should in the right place at the right time. It, it, none of it comes like 
she is a master planner. It all comes across like, well, thank God that had worked out, you know, kind of stuff. And again, for her to be, be but for her to be like their commander at, we're still going to say 16. <laughs> right, right. Uh, at 16-ish. There had to have been something there other than my parents are awesome, so therefore I must be awesome. Right. There had to have been something either in the training that should have been shown. And Dana is like a super courageous character, but that's really it. That's like the full extent they gave it. And and again, like um, this is where localization can sometimes rub up against tropes because the teenage mecha pilot who's super competent is a thing. It's a trope. It is a trope that goes back to at least 79 with Mobile Suit Gundam and maybe even far back as Transor Z, right? It is an established trope that exists and so it's just not questions in the original material. When you, and, and again, if you import it, if you just say, okay, this is just how the world works, that's fine. But in the first season, we saw characters who were in their mid to late 20s who were very competent and that was seen as the the dominant character type. Most of the SDF one crew were in, were that age. You know, Lisa Hunter was repeatedly told how old she was by being in her mid to late twenties. You know, and uh, um, you know, Captain Global and whatnot. So it's like adults were seen as the predominant people who lead military teams, and then we moved to an anime where that is not the the, the trope that we use. We're not looking at teenagers do this. And again, it, all this could have been solved if you had just said it was 20 years, 25 years. Okay, that piece could have been solved, but it doesn't change the fact that these characters act like teenagers, which means they act like they're idiots because teenagers are dumb. I've been one. I know how it is. So it's – it's. I know I keep beating this show up, and, I, and it's like I, I kept wanting to like it. Right? I keep wanting to, to make this work, and it's just every time I do, then the episode throws one more thing or the show throws one more thing out that kind of like, okay, but what about this? It, it, it's 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 just kind of let, let's get to the last two episodes because I want to uh, I have a couple I have a point that kind of hinges off those two so all right hmm. uh, the image connection um it kind of the this is the the last battle um uh, the the robotech masters have decided they're putting their, all the chips in to try to reclaim the protoculture factory and so there's a big fight with the Earth fleet um uh, the masters do something that's genuinely awful here, which again is totally weird with the show, is they just, all of their quote-unquote infirm aged people, people who can't, aren't a fighting age, they just throw them into space. And all of their clone troopers, they just pump them full of anti-pain serums, then keep fighting through the pain. That's how desperate the Robotech Masters are. And they basically say, you have to evacuate your planet for 38 hours or we're going to destroy your home world. Which Seems weird. They want to reclaim the the, the culture, but it may be a case of like, okay, if we can't have it, nobody have. I I, I, I can make that stretch, right? So, uh, Supreme Commander is like, we're just going to throw all the Southern Cross together, and we're going to attack. But his ship blows up. So again, the stakes are just mounting and mounting and mounting. Um, uh, uh, they capture some of the members of the crew, um, the, and one of them is being Zora Prime and they actually contact Zora Prime and it's like if you uh, uh, if you give us uh, Zora Musica and the remaining Earth Forces um, we'll give you back the members of the general's staff that we've captured and Zora agrees because um, it's a Zora show because it's a Zora show right it's like why are you contacting Zora you're a spy but the show is now just fully accepted. Zora is the protagonist now. Um, so the prisoner exchange is a trap because, as we learned in the last episode, the masters are not to be trusted. You shouldn't lose these robotic masters. Uh, so um, the team, team tries to escape. We're now into catastrophe. A team tries to escape. Uh, during all of this, Dana tries to find Zor, while the rest of the team are looking for Musica sisters, who were a thing that I, I think we skipped over, but Musica has sisters. Um, Zora like their population is almost triples, triplets equivalently, like three oh, okay. clones right. that form a hmm. unity of a kind. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Zor wants to uh, destroy the Masters. They find out about the Masters uh, preparing for a final assault. Um, uh, Zor, uh, Zor learns that he's a clone of 
the Robotech Masters or who develops all the stuff, um, which is where we get the line of, of no, we have to destroy the protoculture. Um, so Dana goes to do that. She screws it up, causes the seeds to bloom and release all of their energy. It also unlocks her racial memories of her centrality half, which is, I think, the only time that that even comes up in the show. Uh, Musica oh, doesn't doesn't Zor shoot at them and break the glass because you would keep protoculture in the glass. Um, right. the glass thing, and that's how it starts. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, by, again, by protagonist power. The the the, the action's a little muddy at this stage. Um, but I know Dana was like, try- oh no, Dana was trying to stop it and she fails. That's the, the part that I was remembering. She tries to contain it. I, I just wanted to point that out because it goes back to to once again, like this, cr- these people that should be really good are not so much. Right. Um, uh, but the reason why all this is happening, the reason uh, where the protoculture was kept was actually in the ruins of the SDF-1. Um, so Zor tries to destroy the ruins. Uh, but that actually frees the spores that were uh, caught for blooming and scatters them on the surface of the world. And that's where it ends. Uh, and I wanted to kind of run through that pretty quick because that's a, that's a bleak ending that's worthy of the Macross saga, right? It's that heroes just try and try and try. And w- even with the end of the last season is Earth was wrecked, but at least they won. This is not a win. You you, the best you can qualify this is a draw. Nobody got control of the protoculture. Now it's all over the Earth. And the thing that both the Robotech Masters and the Earthlings are trying to stop, which is the protoculture summoning the Invid, fails. The Invid are now coming. The Invid are, are, are going to happen. Of course, that sets up Season 3. Um, there were a couple of things that I found interesting, like the fact that uh, the SDF-1 did, in fact... We saw it wreck in the first season, and then there's the wreckage of a ship here. And it's like, oh, that's the SCF-1. It's like, okay, that, that was one of the few points where it's like, I, I genuinely like how they tied those pieces together because that, that actually worked really, really well. But it's, it's, it's so obvious source the protagonist now because all Dana does is show up to make things worse. Or, or to help Zor do something. Right. Um, she is a second character to Zor now. Zor is the person who was supposed to save us and didn't, but at least tried. Uh, but the then we also have the fact that the Thermotech Masters attacked like the big major city and they destroyed the big major city also on top mm-hmm. of Zor's failure. But then why well, I do like the, the parallel between global saving Lisa and Zor saving Dana as like the only survivor from that to get sort of shot out. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, music also turns. So, I mean, like I, I gave her some stick, but the point is, is there's this interesting story arc of the first season. The Zentradi started to turn against themselves and the humans kind of helped them because they were like, a number of Centrati soldiers near the end of season one who are actually fighting with the humans. This is a deeper turn of that. Like all of those Robotech Masters allies who are not human have turned on them. That's a potentially interesting story. Um, the, the the fact that these allies turn against Robotech Masters because those are the only hope humans, because humans are so beaten down that they can't possibly do this themselves this time. That's an interesting story. The SDF-3, their last hope against the Arctic Masters, is unable to come to their aid. And so this is all they have left. They've got to make it work. That's an interesting story. But the show gets in the way of those interesting stories so often that you have to dig to find them. And I think it's, again, it goes back to, I think it's so frustrating at the end is that I could see a version of this show that would be amazing. I could see a version of the show that would be worthy of that first half of Robotech. I mean, if they had set Zor up at the beginning, like, like the whole Zor wakes up and they find this amnesiac guy and they're like, cool, we need every fighting person we can get. You're good enough. Can you hold a gun? Great. Cool. You're now part of the Southern Cross and let's get going. And then that had been his whole arc through the show. 
And then he's the protagonist. It's clearly the protagonist. And Dana is the person who has a, a weird destiny, who's promoted way above her command and is struggling to try to fulfill this, this massive weight of legend that's thrust upon her. That all could have been really cool. And that is just... I, I tried to find that show in here. I just couldn't see it. And that's why I was nervous coming. It's like, I'm going to be rough on this show. But it sounds like we're kind of in a similar boat in terms of this is definitely not reaching its potential. We are. But part of the problem is I think that since we're in a similar boat and we're both don't love the show, it does sound like we're we're pummeling it in the ring and it has like no defense. <laughs> but much like you, I can see there are three or four great shows this could have been. And that's the problem. There are three or four great shows that could have been like if they'd even narrowed it down to just, it could have been two great shows. It would have been solid. Mm -hmm. The version that I have in my, in my mind is that it could have easily been Dana's show. If they made a few minor character tweaks. Sure. And Zor should have been pushed further to the background. And even if, even the fights they had together, if they'd focused more on Dana, and having Dana make choices that Zor either fought against or acquiesced to, that would have been like another great show that sort of reinforces Dana and like the legacy that she's struggling with and her weird inability to command her troops, but who are incredibly loyal to her anyway. Mm-hmm. Like that's a great drama and comedy. It still could have been there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to give this show all the credit it could possibly have, um, this is only the second time ever that the U.S. tried to combine anime shows into a longer format with any reasonable amount of success. Um, it's no one could have predicted how popular Robotech would have become, and when you're left with the okay, we've committed to, you know was it 90 episodes of this show because that's what we had to do to get, get in the door. We, 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 we can't go back on that. We can't make new stuff. We're committed to this path, but those first 35, 36 episodes are just so iconic. You're absolutely right. This is the, you know, how do you follow that? Right. This is the, the last band on stage just put on an amazing show and you've got to follow that. And it's hard and you can't change anything. You can't like recut or reshoot or reanimate anything. You, you're, you're stuck with the cells you've got. Um, you can try to rewrite things, uh, but you can't change anything. And so I could see a path where like, if this show had been stitched into, into season one, where we're cutting back and forth between the space battle and the, the conflict on earth, I think this show could have, this show could have been a lot better too. Because then a lot of the, the the Zor stuff and how it's tying into, you know, tie, tie all that indirectly into the Zentradi plot. And then it's the, it makes sense why, well, we, we can't give it back up because we're fighting right now in space. You know, a lot of this stuff, I think, would have made more sense if you put it together. But again, we couldn't have anticipated that. And, you know, the show is how it is. And I do give it all the credit for really trying to make these things line up as much as possible. Um, and, and again, I mean, I'll reiterate the individual episodes were fun to watch. It, it was, it was very enjoyable animated cartoons that I got to watch and claim it was a work expense. I am very happy with that. <laughs> um, but just put compared to that first season, it's, it's really hard not to see the flaws. That so, is a perfect encapsulation of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I to kind of wrap things up, I, I think it was good that we did this because um, it's, we, told we, folks we, we need to go through this to get to the new generation. And again, an era I've not really watched, but what I've seen so far, I'm definitely seeing a, a, an uptick again in quality. And I think we needed this transitional stage to get there. But let's talk about the new generation. What are we going to watch? So uh, next time. We're going to go for Robotech, the new generation. We're going to go with episodes 61, Infinite Invasion, episode 63, Lonely Soldier Boy, episode 68, uh, Eulogy, episode 70, Inter Marlene, episode 79, Frostbite, and lastly, episode 85, Symphony of Light. 
Okay. And if people want to tell you and I online how we're wrong about Southern Cross, where would they find you? Uh, they could find me at Pugsteady on Twitter. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So if you want to really talk to me, you can uh, nice. add me at DarkerHue underscore Hugh on Twitter, or you can come join the Dark Hue Discord. Right. And, and, and if you do genuinely want to just dog on Chris, you can contact me at Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-A-D-A-Y <laughs> on Twitter. You can find me at Pugsteady.com, um, or you can come to the Darker Hue Discord. Um, and we're happy to talk through because because honestly i would love someone who loves this version to come talk to us because i would love to find a show that they love in here because i because i think it's maybe it's there maybe i'm picked the wrong episodes maybe i i didn't look at it the right way i would love to know a take where i could get to love this show because i i feel like it could be there somewhere you know we can but, always actually start a twitter conversation about robotech masters yeah maybe maybe that is a thing we will do if we remember to do it <laughs> Um, so with that um, uh, next week we'll talk about Robotech New Generation and we will see you all then peace peace